Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer, and welcome to episode 13 of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. Today, we are without my co-host Brandon Polk for the first time, but don't worry, it was merely a scheduling conflict and not a fallout. We're going to miss his voice today, but he will be back next episode. But this gave us an opportunity to call in a ringer today. In building up to this episode, we've had a lot of conversations about the need for safe spaces when engaging in conversation around the topic of race. And when you think about a safe space, you might think about the derogatory terms that go with it. Sometimes people are called snowflakes whenever they bring up the idea of needing a safe space. And safe spaces are certainly important for marginalized or oppressed groups to come together and associate with like-minded people to express grievances in settings that they might not otherwise be able to do. And they need to be able to do that uh, and have the opportunity to do that without having to feel like they need to defend what it is that they believe or whatever they're airing. What we talk about less is the safe spaces that we need when engaging in conversations that include both white and people of color. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, But before we get into it with our guest today, I want to get you thinking about times when you've been a beginner or when you've pursued a new activity and the discomfort that goes into forming new habits. And so when we talk about the discomfort or the sensitivities that white people have, there can be shame that that is just built into this conversation on top of having to feel like you're you're learning new things uh, where white people haven't typically kind of engaged in this topic or this conversation before they're coming into this now as beginners uh, many of them and so if there's a lot of shame or a lot of insecurity built into that then they they might be less likely to to respond or to stick around or to form new habits or new understandings or perspectives uh, if they feel like they have to be defensive. And so a posture of curiosity, uh, one that puts the ego at the door uh, and is engaged in learning and understanding um, is hugely important to fostering a safe space and engaging in that kind of conversation. And so today our guest speaker uh, is going to talk to that. Um, he is for the last 20 years served underserved communities in Washington, D.C. through a nonprofit he's founded called Little Lights. And over the last couple of years has started a twice annual class called Race Literacy 101, which brings together a group of people from diverse backgrounds to discuss the topic of racial history in America. I'm currently enrolled in this class, and Steve Park has done a bang-up job in fostering a safe community where those conversations can take place. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today with Steve, uh, and we'll get into that now, and I hope you enjoy it. All right. Uh, Today we are joined by Steve Park, Executive Director and Founder of Little Lights, a nonprofit here in D.C. uh, that serves uh, underprivileged communities. Um, And so, Steve, would you say that's a a fair assessment or just a a fair? Yeah, um, we're a you know, Christian ministry serving in public housing, 
um, working with youth and families uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Okay, great. And you've been doing that for a while now, right? How long have you been? 23 years. So I started the organization in 1995. So it's been 20, 23 years. Okay. And you have an, an interesting background. And I want to uh, tell you know our listeners that uh, one of the reasons I know you is that I'm going through uh, one of your classes, a race literacy 101 class. Uh, my church, I've, I've also heard about you through my church, which does some work with your organization. We do some drop-in volunteering on the weekends at some of those public housing uh, facilities, apartments. Um, and so I've, I've known a little bit about your backstory. I think it's really interesting. Uh, can you just br- kind of briefly encapsulate kind of how you arrived in DC and then how you started Little Lights? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I moved to DC suburbs uh, when at the end of middle school and my parents are, you know, are immigrant parents. They had a store in Washington, DC and I went off to college came back to the DC area after college and uh, went through a pretty dramatic conversion after college. I was a very devout atheist uh, in college. I went through a bad drug experience after college, um, which sort of started me on a journey to seek deeper answers. Um, To make a long story short, had a very powerful experience of compassion through my sister. My heart really awakened to what love and compassion was and eventually found Jesus, um, through attending a, a Korean American church and then reading a book called World Religions. And the last chapter was on Christianity. And I was really uh, struck by the radical compassion of Jesus and just made the commitment to follow Christ, which, which meant for me trying to live more compassionately, trying to live less selfishly, and um, especially to, to those who are marginalized and in need. Mm-hmm. And how did you how did you specifically I guess target this uh, specifically underserved public housing communities? Yeah, so when I first started, we we were working in a neighborhood where my parents owned the business, so it was a low low income neighborhood, but not necessarily public housing. Um, but a woman who was volunteering at that site was also volunteering at Potomac Gardens Public Housing. And she invited me to her Bible study uh, at this public housing. So I visited, and when I walked into this public housing called Potomac Gardens, I was just really overtaken by the the depth of poverty. It's just something I had never seen, and uh, my heart really broke for the kids. And so we started, you know, sending a van every on Saturdays to to work with kids from this community. And eventually, we decided to move our sort of base of operations to this community in 1999. Oh, wow, okay. And then, so you've been doing this for, you know, uh, some time now. And yeah. you, how did you begin the, the Race Literacy 101 class? And if you could just kind of talk briefly yeah. about what that is and then how long you've been doing it and why that came about. Yeah, so the Race Literacy class, I've been, you know, we're on our sort of sixth cohort uh, and so we've been doing two a year. So it's been three years since we um, have started doing it. And, you know, racial reconciliation, racial unity was something that I was passionate about from the very beginning um, of my walk with Christ. Um, partly because I just, one, my, my parents' business was in a, a low-income ne- neighborhood with African-American and Latino 
families. And, you know, when I was a, a, an atheist, I actually had a really diverse group of friends and there was sort of a sense of acceptance for one another, even though, you know, we may have been racially different uh, or, or had some uh, ethnic differences. There was a greater sense of acceptance than I think what I experienced after becoming a Christian and coming into churches and visiting churches. Um, and my heart really broke to see how racially segregated churches were and just divided. And that, you know, as a sort of a secular atheist, I experienced more sort of acceptance of difference. And, um, and so that just broke my heart to see the level of segregation in, in the church and the body of Christ. And there was very little relationship building across racial lines. And so that just broke my heart from the beginning. So, you know, I try to personally reach out to an African-American community and a Latino community uh, just to build the relationships. And after Little Lights grew and was more established, I had sort of time and bandwidth to really try to focus on um, something more, something that was specifically about racial reconciliation and racial uh, unity. Uh, so that's how the class sort of was developed. It was Thankfully, I had sort of the bandwidth to put energy specifically toward uh, sort of a training that was based in anti-racism and, and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, to give some context, it's a weekly class that spans, what is it, about 11, 12 weeks? Mm -hmm. uh, it's 11. Uh, and then the 12th week is a, sort of an informal dinner that we have together. Okay. And in uh, this class that I'm in this fall in particular is probably about halfway through mm -hmm. uh, and it's been hugely um, resourceful for me and educational. I'm, I'm learning a lot about yeah. a lot, you know, especially considering the history of race in the church and uh, you know, a lot of things going all the way back to our founding that I just was ignorant to. Um, yeah. But then also the conversation has been really good. Would you say there's about yeah. 20, 20 to 30 attendees each week? Would you say yeah. that that's Yeah, I think there's like 30 people registered and then on an average day because people are traveling or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think there's been about 22 or so on an average yeah. class. And we're all from a variety of backgrounds, black, white, um, Asian, very multi-ethnic. And then, you know, religious. I, th I think most people are probably religious, maybe a couple who aren't. Um, and so, so one of the things that struck me is the conversations that have come out of this. We've, uh, from the very start, you laid a foundation, though, that that you went over. You kind of oriented everybody to, I guess, mm -hmm. some some guidelines. Can you kind of yeah. talk about those guidelines and why they're important for like yeah. this, this kind of discussion? Yeah, I think um, I think guidelines are important because it it, it is such an emotional potentially emotional um, issue that, you know, race is just one of those things that's hard to talk about, partly because there's a lot of emotions involved. And so trying to have some ground rules so that um, there are some boundaries, there's a, an agreed set upon sort of rules, basically, that everybody agrees to, to say, hey, we can have disagreements, but let's try not to attack each other personally. Um, and, you know, and demean each other or be extremely disrespectful. Um, 
but that it's also okay to disagree. You know, we don't have to agree on everything. And that the point isn't necessarily to agree on everything, but it's try to understand this issue and to hear other people's perspectives more deeply so that um, we're more informed. We can hear other perspectives more clearly. And so, and then also even things like your body language and, you know, if somebody rolls their eyes at someone's comment, you might not say anything or if you're crossing your arms and, and, and have really negative body language, like being aware that communicates things when, when that exists. So just creating ground rules that everybody agrees to so that, um, you know, things don't go off the rails and there's a sense of respect and listening. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you had in place from the very beginning? Or was that something that had to, you had to create after the first class and things kind of went off the rails? Or, or was that something that uh, you knew you had to foster? Yeah, I, I, sort of, yeah I sort of figured we needed the, uh, um So I, d- I did you know, do a little research and, and looked at other uh, guidelines that other people have used and tr- tr- consolidated them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I did sort of figure it would be helpful to have those right from the beginning and try to to minimize you know negative experiences mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's worked and you you know at the start of every class at the start of the very first class you went through kind of a lengthier one and then at the start of every single class you kind of do a, just a condensed rereading of a, a paragraph um mm-hmm. that that reminds people of those rules and so you, you yeah. might even call this a safe space and i know that there's a lot when people hear about safe spaces Um, you know, they, they tend to think about a safe place where oppressed or marginalized groups can associate and communicate openly Mm -hmm. and honestly without feeling judgment. Um, but this space is also a space that for everybody, uh, that you've created for, for white people, marginalized groups. So the people who are feeling oppressed are in open dialogue with people who might be considered the oppressors. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you, yep. in, in the three years that you've been doing this, have you seen, um, what kind of things have you seen come out of that? Because our class has been relatively tame mm-hmm. up, in, up until, we've had some heated discussions, but I don't think that anything yeah. has went off the rails. What's been your yeah. experience <laughs> with that? Yeah, I mean, partly this is a self-selecting group. Um, so, most, you know, most of the people who come to the class, you know, probably have some evangelical roots or attend what we would call an evangelical church. Uh, not all, of course, but probably the majority. Um, but it is self-selecting. So this is not being mandated by a senior pastor that you have to attend a class. Um, so by and large, I think most people are coming to, to learn and they were coming because they want to come. Um, so we haven't had too many really bad experiences. I mean, there have been some heated, uh, moments. Um, there was, and you know, we've, I had, I mean, I only had one person leave the class, uh, stating that they felt, um, cut off. Hmm. And, um, and so I did have one person throughout the course of the six cohorts who, left the class and emailed me and said that they left the class um, because they felt sort of maybe 
cut off or uh, inhibited or, or so I did get one person out of all the people who, who sort of stated that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course there have been people who have rolled out the class and they haven't specifically stated why, you know, and so, I mean, this is not an easy class, even though it's called, you know, a 101 class. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot in here. I mean, you know, even the, the guest speaker, we had Mark Charles. I mean, this, I mean, some of the things he says is just really not always easy to hear, even for people of color. So um, even though it's a, a, a 101 class, it doesn't mean it, it's sort of just very easy to listen to or basic um, so basic that there's not no controversy so Mm -hmm. but by and large it's been respectful there usually have been emotion people have cried people have you know gotten frustrated i mean you know but not too much where um it, it, it felt out of control i mean really there wasn't there hasn't been anything i would just say it just was completely out of control um, but you've had people curse, you've had people cry. I mean, there's been yeah. a range of emotions. Um, but by and large, you know, it's been very respectful at the same time. Yeah. I, I've talked in a couple of episodes that we've done uh, on the podcast about, and I, I didn't bring up, you brought up Mark Charles uh, specifically. I mentioned him yeah. in, in his discussion on Lincoln. And I think that's mm-hmm. back. I think I brought that up in episode rep, on reputation. And uh okay. And yeah, and I consider myself, you know, very open-minded, not easily offended. Yeah. And I don't want, yeah. I don't know if I want to call it offense, but when he did come, there mm-hmm. was a lot that, that was, that we wrestled through. And I think that that was the, probably the trigger for the last couple of really kind of more heated discussions that we've had in the class. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. so yeah, lots, lots to wrestle with there. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and he even said something interesting. One thing that I thought was, was great uh, was he talked about how, uh, there is trauma that that people experience at the hands yeah. of, of oppressors, and then, but there's trauma that the oppressors also experience. Uh, yeah, and I can't remember. I think there was a specific kind of term that he used for that. Pits. Um, I think it was pits. It's like uh, something. Yeah, it's P I T S. It stood for something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Induced well, traumatic syndrome. I, f- I forget. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was interesting because that's in my own experience over the last five, 10 years, that, that has been my case. And there were okay. some uh, instances where if I felt kind of attacked, you know, I, yeah. I became defensive. And I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do kind of an excavation of that to like see how I overcame that. But I yeah. know that one consistent thing for me was a kind of operating in a safe space and having people come alongside me and yeah, you know, and kind of help offer me revelations or their perspectives on things. Um, yeah. And so I think that one thing that I've seen that's kind of kind of troubled me a little bit is the the insistence that white people kind of just need to get over those feelings, those discomforts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know if you could speak to that at all. The importance of a space, safe space, even for for white people. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a believer that we should um, practice compassion just for everyone, right? This is a hard thing, um, and you know, I give credit to to whites who 
want to take this class, right? <laughs> this is like not easy information. I know that um, it can bring up emotion. It can even maybe even bring up you know, feelings of shame. And um, so, I mean, I, I sort of honor people's willingness to go through the process. And so, um, and if somebody has feelings, I mean, I'm just a believer that if you have feelings of anger or it, it is something you want to process and not just kind of bury, you know, it's like trying to understand where those feelings come from. And so for me, it is about racial healing and not just about, um, not just about, you know, maybe changing laws or policies, you know, part of the purpose of our group is to build community. It's not just to, um, I, I mean, it really doesn't have a particular like, Hey, we need to try to stop police brutality. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, we don't try to make a, a, a common sort of political goal or, or policy goal as, as, as a class. Mm -hmm. It's really about building a sense of community, uh, learning, you know, learning about this issue and recognizing, you know, we don't probably know as much as we think, you know, mm -hmm. uh, about this issue. And so I guess the purpose of our group is that community building is trying to get to a level of freedom and liberation for, for everybody involved, you know, that, you know, whites need to process what they're experiencing, you know, when they hear this information, when they hear this history, when they learn about the science, I mean, there's a lot of feelings that come out of it. And I think it should be processed. You know, it should be talked about um, because we're trying to establish healing and wholeness and unity. Um, and you need kind of your whole selves to do that. If, if it was just about, Hey, we're going to protest, xyz right um which is legitimate and i'm not saying that we should as so people shouldn't um it's probably a tough place to start processing personal feelings because there's sort of a goal or a practical like hey we got to get x y and z done mm -hmm. but the purpose of our group is is really the primary purpose is is to gain a deeper understanding and help pro help everyone process so that we can move toward healing and, and liberation. Because I personally, I feel like racism does hurt whites in a deep way in ways that whites don't understand because it may not hurt them economically. It may not, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt. Racism may not hurt whites economically, but racism hurts whites in other ways that aren't seen easily, mm. you know, including spiritually, I think emotionally too. So, um, so I want everyone to process and try to get to a better place as a result of the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes me kind of think about, you know, uh, a patchwork quilt versus a melting pot. And I think that those mm -hmm. are two kind of theories that you see come out of like when you're trying to build community or a nation like america is very much mm -hmm. the idea is melting pot you go to canada yeah. the idea is patchwork and mm -hmm. and i understand the the theories the philosophies behind both you know you want assimilation for cohesiveness but then mm -hmm. america tends to kind of 
gloss over personal stories and context for how people are today. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, if you go on the other extreme, maybe if you go to Canada, uh, then you kind of lose the cohesiveness. Uh, And I might be Mm -hmm. speaking out of ignorance. I'm not Canadian, but I've, you know, (laughs) those are some of the things I've talked to some people who have spent time and lived in Canada who, and now having spent time in America, kind of like those are the differences that they've spoken to. Um, Mm -hmm. So why is, so you talked about community healing. um, And I think that that's kind of a fascinating thing because right now, to this point, a lot of the conversation has been dominated by the politics of identity. And we talked a little bit about that, me and Brandon, in our last episode where you want to engage um, around the idea of, of bringing healing to everyone. What is certainly you, you talked about individual level, but what, I guess, what would the ultimate goal be for that? Um, and then why? Ultimate goal of the class or ultimate goal that I, I mean, I would like to see personally, like in, in, in uh, general, in general, personally, um, and in then, general. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, ultimately, I feel like racism um, is, is harmful, <laughs> is extremely harmful. Um, it's been harmful very much physically on people of color, you know, um, especially African-Americans and Native Americans. It's been harmful um, psychologically. It's also, very, I mean, and maybe even more even, more importantly, it's been so harmful spiritually in ways I think people just don't understand. Um, it's harmful to the witness of the church. It's harmful to human souls. It's, it's just, it's so toxic and poisonous, I feel like. And it's, but it's such a part of our cu- culture. And it's also embedded in, you know, in, in many of our institutions, including the church. And, um, and so I want, I want people, including myself, including, you know, liberated from, from that toxic, toxic thing, Mm. you know, um, if racism is is a cancer and sometimes it's, it's, it's eating away at health and wholeness in ways that we can't, we're not even conscious of. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me, kind of God's, plan is to i mean you know is salvation right it's salvation and and to me salvation is not just about going to heaven after you die salvation is about redeeming a broken creation and restoring a broken creation to wholeness and um and racism is something that destroys wholeness it destroys health destroys unity and that as Christians, we should be fighting racism. We should be, we should be healing, finding ways to heal from racism because it is so damaging to the body of Christ and, and so damaging to people um, in our society uh, that, you know, if our understanding is God's trying to re- restore wholeness to creation, especially with human beings, that this is something we should really care about. And so that's what I want to see happen. I want to see a church. I want to see a, a body of Christ that is actually functioning more wholly and in greater freedom. And I think racism is something that really destroys that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I can see how if you know if that's your your goal, your desire, you want to see that yeah. ushered in, then absolutely, mm-hmm. I can I can totally understand how that requires both parties to come together uh, to reconcile and mm-hmm. um, and to kind of check their ego at the door and to be open minded and to learn from yeah. other others' perspectives. Um, yeah, because I think that that and I've had and I've had you know a lot of people of color tell me how they, you know, enjoyed the class because, I mean, they, they're seeing whites who are willing to have this conversation and who are willing to learn this history together and that it, it's, like, really encouraging for them to see, you know, brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ who are white, who are wanting to engage and coming, you know, to learn and I had one guy who's actually not a Christian, just like blown away by the willingness of people to to have this conversation. I mean, he's a non-Christian. He says he just did. You know, this does this kind of conversation just doesn't happen, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, Christian or non-Christian. And so I think he was super encouraged, and it was a good witness for him to see Christians and people who would identify oftentimes as evangelical Christians having this kind of depth of conversation and honest conversation. So I think it, it changed even his perception of evangelical Christians in many ways to see this willingness, see the humility that I think he doesn't, didn't always see, or, you know, it's, you know, evangelicals aren't known for their humility. I think in the public <laughs> square. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, when people come humble and willing to learn, I think, it's really encouraging um, for people of color because they don't always know that there are a lot of whites who are willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. We, we talk about, we're talking about evangelicals a lot in Christianity in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, do you even think that outside of this, and I think that I don't, and I might be mistaken, but I think it was MLK Jr. who also kind of spoke to the nature of Christianity and God and, and you know about how this whole daggum thing isn't even possible without that sovereignty or that that one singular ethos or idea do you do you think that it's even possible i mean you you've talked about you were you were formerly an atheist is mm-hmm. it is this kind of community healing is it even possible outside of this religious context in your opinion um, I think that I think it is possible to a certain degree, you know, like not everybody in the civil rights movement were Christians. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think they did. Whether you're a Christian, I mean, Christians may have experienced, uh, let's say, the March on Washington. Right. The March on Washington. I mean, a friend of mine who's who's you know older than me. Um, she was at March on Washington and she just, as a Christian, she just said, she just felt the spirit of love, just like in the deepest way that she had ever experienced during the March. Now uh, there were, I'm sure there was a lot of non-Christians in the group and I'm sure they experienced something spiritual. They may have experienced it differently, Mm -hmm. um, but they did experience something that gave hope and encouragement and a sense of reconciliation. Um, it just may be different because it, it, it's not Christ at the center, you know, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. 
the love of Christ at the center, but you know, people can still feel it when there's that sort of spirit um, in the, in the atmosphere, so to speak. Um, But so I think there is, there are things that are possible outside of the church that can be very positive and encouraging, but I think, but there's a, there's a greater power if we can tap into it in the body of Christ, because it's the love of God, you know, it's, it's the love of Christ that's at the center. And so, you know, there's something even more powerful that can happen if it's within the church. And that's why I still put, you know, pretty much all the classes, it's, it's been focused on Christian folks in the class. I, I mean, um, the class is really geared more for Christians, even though non-Christians have participated. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because I just believe it's like the answer is in the church, is, is in the body of Christ. Like the ultimate answer is in the body of Christ because we have the spirit of Christ. But that's why I think I hate racism so much is that we have racism and this racial divide just kills the potential of the church. I mean, we could be such a witness. We could just change the world. I mean, we could change society. You know, we have that kind of power in the body of Christ, but racism and this racial divide has deceived us so long and so deeply that we don't even know what we're missing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what we're missing. And we just kind of coast on this sort of really powerless Christianity. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of power in, our, in, our, uh, in the body. And so we just kind of coast and just settle into very tame Christianity that just really kind of about socializing and you know just having potluck sometimes with people who are just like us you know and it just kind of becomes a sort of tame thing that you know and then it it just goes in all crazy directions (laughs) you know because we've lost sort of the the power and so it's just kind of sad I mean that we just we've gotten to the point where people don't even care that we're not really making much of an impact or, or bringing hope to many people or, so it's just kind of sad for me to see how we can so easily settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've kind of forfeited ground there over the last, so, you know, several hundred years. And um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I think there's gotta be people who see a vision for something greater than what we have and, and keep persisting prayerfully and sacrificially so that, so that others can see the potential for something greater. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I didn't even know we were going to go to church today with this. Uh, (laughs) preaching. Uh, Real quick. I think, uh, kind of coming up on time i wanted to ask you a question i didn't ask you this when we spoke before we started recording but i think one thing that is interesting and important for people to know is especially white people it's not incumbent on the oppressed to educate you on these issues um yeah it's good to have you know safe spaces like you've provided for as an outlet but ultimately mm-hmm. it's it's incumbent on on uh, white folks to, to educate themselves do you have any resources or suggestions for how they can do that? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot out there. 
and do you have any like starting points for them? Oh wow! <laughs> I know that's kind of a big question. <laughs> yeah, I don't, um, I, I don't know. If the, yeah, I'm not sure if there's like I, I have like a one starting. Point. I mean, if you Google stuff, I mean, like a, a, a anti-racism, you know, reading list or Christian anti-racism reading list. I, I'm sure a lot of things uh, will pop up. I mean, there are there are just so many there are so many resources out there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to, you know, think of like one, one particular resource. I mean, you know, a couple of books that have helped me to sort of just dive deeper into um, some of the history is uh, Stamped from the Beginning. Um, that's a pretty big book. It's probably not a great starter book. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and it does get pretty political, uh, toward, especially toward the end of the book. Um, and then there was, um, I, I like, uh, James Baldwin. I think he's a good writer. Um, yeah, but I can't think of like one website or one resource that I would say, Oh, definitely start there. Okay. And maybe that's part of the problem. There's just, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there, but you have to still kind of dig for do, it. Yeah. Dig, kind of dig yeah. for it. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, as you know, the the DVD that we're using in the class is you know, Race Power of an Illusion mm-hmm. um, by California Newsreel. I mean, that's been a good resource mm-hmm. um, to get a back, you know, yeah, to get sort of a, a basic understanding. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that one's been really fun to watch. Uh, watch <laughs> that Race Power of Illusion. Uh, have you ever thought about posting any of this stuff online? You know, any of your, um, syllabus? You know, I have, to, you know, I don't have a lot, I don't have any administrative help for this project. So, uh, okay. um, so I have kind of very basic outlines, but it's, it's not, it's not very good. It's not presentable yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I have to spend some time of kind of, making it more presentable and writing things out. And to be honest with you, like each cohort, I tweak a little bit based Mm. on sort of where the conversation is or even where current events are, um, current events happening, you know, during the class. Mm. So I don't, I don't do exactly the same thing every class. Um, And so, but you know, there's a general framework, but then I, I, tweak things as they go or i'll add something and take out something yeah hmm. still okay. a work in progress <laughs> yeah yeah well it's good it's been it's been really good to to go through it and i'm looking forward to to the rest of the class and then maybe maybe at the end of it we can uh maybe unpack some things further post online or something um okay so sounds good but yeah well thanks for uh thanks for hopping on this call with me and, and talking through this it's been uh it's been really helpful I think, and to, to hear even more about your perspective um, oh, cool. Great. For, for this that you created. So thanks a lot. And uh, thanks Mark. Yeah. And we'll, uh, I'll talk to you. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining. All right. Thanks Mark. I, I think appreciate so. it. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of 
Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.